Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your peace. I thank you for your healing. I thank you for your strength. I thank you for renewing us. And even when we're in the midst of chaos and wrapped up in our own frustrations or our anger or our sadness, you're still present. So often we don't acknowledge or recognize that or even stop to thank you for that. But as we gather in this place, we do. I pray that your touch would be upon us today. You would make your presence known to us, make, make it manifest in a way such that no one can leave this room without having said, God was there. Amen. Not because of any man, not because of any church, but because of your kindness and your mercy. Because you love us. And as we draw corporately together, I thank you for the promise that you draw nigh unto us as well. I ask you to bless the scriptures we read, the, the preaching of this word. And all that's of you would, would stick, would, would last. It would go deep into us in such a way that we would appropriate it and live it out for the glory of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Well, whenever anybody starts to talk about a healing ministry, I, I find that the first thing most people think of are the excesses and the charlatans and the Elmer Gantries and the Benny Hens. We think of affectations and speech and odd dress and strange manners, strange mannerisms, I guess. We think about all the things that offend us and the things that turn us off with certain healing ministries. And we think to ourselves, well, that certainly can't be of God. I've read a lot of books about healing. I've studied healing in the 20th century and what God has done, the phenomenon that it is. Ever since Azusa Street, when God seemed to turn back on so much that he's doing all, all throughout the centuries, threads of it, but looking more, much more like the first church. I've been to a lot of healing services, a lot of healing conferences, and I've looked, as I've looked at some of the more famous healing ministers of the past hundred years or so, I'm convinced that we cannot say that they're not from God, most of them. In spite of the eccentricities, shouldn't use such big words, in spite of the plain oddness of some of the folks, even in spite of some of the personal moral failures that we have witnessed, many of them have been used by God to bring about healing in people's bodies and their minds and their emotions and their situations of life to such an effect that we cannot dismiss them. Nobody except Jesus had a, had a perfect track record when it comes to healing. And I think it's very easy for us to be armchair quarterbacks, sideline critics who say, well, you know, I don't like this, and I certainly didn't like that. He seems to be off here. Certainly that can't be of God. And we've got our notebooks out, and we're checking off everything that is wrong. But I know that as I have prayed for the sick, far more are not healed than are healed. 
So I have to be quite careful about making fun of anybody else or being judgmental about how they're doing it so wrong. Yes, we've all seen those who claim to have the gift of healing but clearly do not, and, or we've seen the ones who do, and there are the excesses, there are the offensive and off-putting things to us. But I've known of doctor-verified cases, definite healings, and the people who prayed for them were absolutely looney tunes in my book. And I've gone to God, and I've asked, God, why are you using that person to heal through? Don't you see how it confuses people? Don't you see how he turns people off? And I've prayed, God, do you, do you ever use normal people in the healing ministry? Do you ever use calm people in the healing ministry? Do you ever use people who don't talk like this? Yay, you say men. In many churches today, there's absolutely no mention of divine healing. None at all. For them, it's something relegated to the Bible and to Jesus and the apostles and when they were walking around. In fact, there's a, a long-held, widely respected belief, theological thinking, that says no sorts of miracles happen today. They just don't. I mean, yes, the miracle of a baby and the miracle of the sunshine, the miracle of a flower, but nothing strange, nothing miraculous. Those kind of miracles. They say the things that were commonplace to Jesus and the apostles all stopped after the first generation church. There's actually a name for this way of thinking. It's called cessationism. Cessationism, that healing and the other supernatural things ceased after the first church got started. Indeed, the only reason that God did healing in the, in the first place, they say, was, was kind of to jumpstart the church. But then once the church got going, well, we don't really need miracles anymore. We don't need healing anymore. There's another theological way of thought called dispensationalism. It's very popular, very widespread. That says that God, the way God works in history can be divided up into different periods or different dispensations. Depending on which dispensation you're talking about, God worked this way then, and then he stopped that, and he's doing this now, and then he's doing something else. Very popular. Many good evangelicals, good Bible-believing Christians. If you have a Schofield reference Bible, it's dispensational. That way of thought is laced throughout the footnotes. Dispensationalists are some of the most ardent defenders of cessationism. That the supernatural gifts were just for the apostles. And the things like healing and prophecy and words of knowledge and miracles are not for today. Good, solid people. There's yet another camp of believers who are on many planes diametrically opposed to dispensationalism. They include Lutherans and Reformed theologians. I don't know if that makes you sit up and take notice, but it should because when we're talking about Reformed thinking, we're talking about Presbyterians. Our, our theology is called Reformed Theology. A lot of Baptists as well. Unlike the dispensationalists who say God acted in one way in one time and another way in another time, Presbyterians would say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we do recognize the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We do recognize the Old Testament and the New Testament. But we say God is consistent throughout the ages. And when we read the Bible, we would say the Old Testament is as full of God's grace as it is the law. 
there's grace throughout the Old Testament. And we would say in the new time after Jesus, yes, it's a period of grace. But in the middle of that grace, there's a continual call to obedience, a call to following, a call to righteousness, a call to holiness. God's the same. He works the same. However, in spite of that, like the dispensationalists, both John Calvin and Martin Luther taught cessationism. But the gifts stopped. The healings stopped. The charismatic gifts were just for 1 Corinthians, and thanks the Lord we don't do that now. This is what John Calvin says in his famous, most famous work, Institutes of Christian Religion. The gift of healing, like the rest of the miracles, which the Lord willed to be brought forth for a time, have vanished away in order to make the preaching of the gospel more marvelous forever. Healing now has nothing to do with us to whom the administration of such powers has not been committed. End quote. I'm Presbyterian. John Calvin, you missed the boat. I don't agree with that. Without giving you all the details of church history, the particulars, how it came about, I'll tell you that there's been a divorce of sorts in the church. Some of the children stayed with the mother, some went with the father. Some claim to adhere to the word, others claim that they're spirit people. The word side says, we need to return to the word. We need to get back to our biblical roots. We must preach the gospel. We've got to teach justification by grace and the holiness and the majesty and the sovereignty of God. The primacy of scripture is what's most important. Anybody got a problem with that? I don't. Totally, totally believe with that. The spirit people say the need for, for this hour is for God to come in power. We need to return to the Church of Acts when signs and wonders and miracles accompanied the preaching. The body of Christ needs to be equipped for the times in which we live and people still need God's touch, God's blessing. Anything wrong with that? Anything wrong with people in church getting healed and moving in miracles? Us doing greater things than Jesus as he said we would do? I don't think so. I contend that what we need in the church of Jesus Christ is the marriage, the remarriage of the two sides. Evangelicals and Bible church folks remarried to the charismatics and the full gospel churches. The Holy Spirit and his move rooted in the infallibility of Scripture. Could we not have both together? How wrong we are if we talk about the ministry of the gift of healing and say, well, you know, it's okay if you're, if you're into that sort of thing. Here's what author Randy Clark says about that. To keep the ministry of healing from people just because it happens not to interest the leaders, the ministry leaders of a particular congregation, is as, as much spiritual malpractice as it would be for medical Malpractice. If a hospital said, well, we don't really treat heart attacks because we just like to treat pneumonia. I personally don't believe that the main reason most folks don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit is because the Bible teaches that way. I think most folks don't believe it because they haven't seen them, because they haven't experienced them. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the basis of our faith is not supposed to be our experience or our lack thereof. It's supposed to be the truth of Scripture. How can we divorce the Word from the Spirit? The Word teaches about the Spirit, and the Spirit causes the Word to be written in the first place, brings illumination to us today. The Word that says, in Christ the curse was broken. The Word that says, in Christ the effects of the fall have been reversed. The Word that gives us Isaiah 53, 5, the links, the healing to the atonement. By His stripes we are healed. By His wounds we are made whole. In our reading from Psalm 103, we read, God forgives all our sins and heals our diseases. All our sins, all our diseases. Forgiveness of sin and healing of disease are linked together in the atonement and in what he's saying here. Everybody here believe in forgiveness? Hmm. Everybody believe in healing? Well, you know, I've never seen that before. I don't know. I guess that's not. They're equivalently linked. In scripture. You know, not everybody receives Christ's forgiveness. Not everybody is saved, right? Depends on the preaching of the gospel, the hearing of the gospel. And then don't miss this. It depends on how you appropriate that for yourself. How you make God's truth your experience, your truth, because you receive the truth of the gospel about salvation. Healing is the same way. Not everybody knows or understands the message of healing, and even when they do, some people are like, well, I, they don't appropriate that for themselves. They don't make it theirs, that which is available to them in the atonement. A fifth of the Gospels have to do with healing, physical healing. Seems to me to be quite a few, given that Jesus could have talked about so many doctrinal or ethical issues. That's not where the emphasis was, is. Exodus 15, 26, God tells the people, I am the Lord who heals you. In Hebrew, it reads, I am Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. It's just one of the names, the God who heals. I know we have gradations of sickness, but did you, did you know that it's just as easy for God to heal cancer as it is for him to heal a headache? One of the things I want to emphasize this morning is if we seek the healing without the healer, we're missing out. We're settling for less. And I contend the most important healing anyone can ever have is to be healed spiritually, which means to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and, and, and to be healed of our lostness, our brokenness, our fallenness. Catherine Coleman had a Tremendous healing ministry in the 1960s and 70s. Some of you perhaps old enough to remember seeing her on TV. This is what she said. I don't care if I never see another physical healing as long as people keep coming to Jesus Christ. That's the greatest healing. I couldn't agree more. We need to beware of glorifying the, glorifying the signs and wonders of God. Welcoming them, yes. Glorifying them to the neglect of glorifying God, we've got a problem. Miracles are not given us to dazzle us. They're not given us to entertain us. They're not given to be a show of power in and of themselves. But they are part of the work of the kingdom, to bless humankind, to help the church carry out the Great Commission. The salvation of souls is the first thing, but that doesn't mean we don't go on and seek healing. Yeah, Lazarus died again. Everybody Jesus healed 
probably ultimately got sick. If they didn't get sick, somehow they died. Maybe they were run over by a chariot. I don't know, but we can't say, well, I, I don't really care about that part. Which means we've got to ask, we've got to seek, we've got to pray, we've got to press in, we've got to understand, we've got to learn how to appropriate that for us, for me, for you. People who've walked with the Lord for just a, a small amount of time, they begin to see that when we turn to God in faith-filled prayer, you know, it's so coincidental, but when I prayed for it, it happened. When I asked for this, it came to pass. Isn't that a coincidence? William Temple was the Archbishop of Canterbury during World War II. He said the more he prayed, the more coincidences happened. Funny that. There's something wrong with the present Healing Day ministry when we see those involved given such celebrity status, when Christians show an inordinate deference to the people who, who have healing ministries. The glory belongs to God. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going up to a preacher after a church. Nice sermon, pastor. There's something wrong when you begin to idolize your pastor. Thinks he walks on water. Thinks he's got, got it cornered. It's a problem. Likewise, there's nothing wrong with showing respect to somebody in the church with the gift of healing, but to idolize them, to glorify them, make them more than they are, it's out of order. It's just a guy. It's just a woman. Perhaps you've seen Benny Hinn, flamboyant healer, very unorthodox style. He blows on people. People fall down when he prays for them. They get what is known as holy laughter. You know, I just got to be honest in sharing my bias. I don't like those things. I don't want people blowing on me. I don't know, just a thing I have, I guess. I find it distracting and distasteful when people are falling down everywhere. I've shared with you when I've prayed for people and some of them have fallen down, it's like, get up, I'm still praying for you. I don't like holy laughter. I find it annoying at best, irreverent at most. And yet, do I ever do a sermon where I don't say, however, or on the other hand, I know that people are falling mostly not because of the guy. They're falling because the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God has come on them, and they can't stand up anymore. They, they get weak in the knees, literally. I know, I know many testimonies of people I know personally who do carpet time. That's what it's called in some circles, doing carpet time. And they get up from the floor healed. And they stand up and they have a new measure of peace. They get up saying, I've had an encounter with God. And transformation has begun in me. Because they fell over. Think of the folks suffering from sadness and depression, maybe even have suicidal thoughts. And they have the the gift of laughter come upon them. You know, we didn't have that in my Presbyterian church growing up. We didn't have the gift of laughter. We barely had smiles. (laughs) 
I have a friend who said, do, do all Presbyterians, are they all prune-faced? <laughs> Why can't holy laughter, the real thing, be from God? Proverbs 17.22, a merry heart doeth good like good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Doesn't Job report, God filled my mouth with laughter and my lips with rejoicing? Didn't David write in Psalm 126, our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing, and then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Well, go ahead, Pastor Dale. You can't find anything about blowing on people. There's a fascinating account in John 20. Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection. They're locked behind closed doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. With that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It was Pentecost before Pentecost. You see, it's not about what I like. It's not about what I'm comfortable with. It's not about my proclivities. Well, if I were God, it's about what the Spirit of God wants to do, not what Pastor Dale wants to do, not what you want to do. Can flesh get mixed in with the Spirit? Of course it can. You don't like Benny Hinn? There are many documented accounts of people who've been healed in his ministry. He has success, some measure of success in praying for the sick. Let me ask you, how much success have you had in praying for the sick? Mm -hmm. Maybe we wouldn't have the problem of idolizing the few who pray for healing if all of us were doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is to pray for one another. Maybe if we were busy enough doing the stuff of the kingdom, we wouldn't have time to look at somebody else and say, well, they're doing it wrong. Or I wouldn't do it that way. Well, then how are you doing it? I don't know who made the comment, but somebody said, you know, Benny Hinn needs more competition. And what they were trying to say is, we need to do what he's doing. Not necessarily his style, but there needs to be more people in the body of Christ praying for the sick and seeing people healed. James 5 says, if any of us are sick, we should call the elders of the church and they will pray over us. They will anoint us with oil in the name of the Lord. It goes on to say we should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's not even just the elders who are supposed to be doing this stuff. It's supposed to be all of us. And if we were all doing it, maybe we'd see a lot more healing than we currently see. I do know that most of the people in the pew aren't going to approach their elders or their pastor to say, pray for me, unless they're taught to do so. I know they're not even going to believe for healing unless they're taught Jesus still heals today. That's an option? Nobody told me. Especially my pastor. Why else would God command his church to pray for the sick? And why would he promise healing if they pray if he didn't plan on us doing it and him responding? I don't believe in a God who wastes words, says what he doesn't mean. Let me ask you this. Does this mean we never should go to the doctor? Does this mean we should throw away our medicines? 
No, for me, red warning flags go up when somebody says, well, I have greater faith, and I can turn my back on the doctors. I can do away with the medicines. And I'm not saying there might be unique times where God sovereignly drops into your life and gives you a direct word, but as a general principle, I tell people who think they're healed, who think something might have changed, go to the doctor, let the doctor verify it, and recommend that your treatment be stopped or your medicines be changed, whatever. But when it gives glory to God, gives a testimony that's believable in the, in the church and in the community. When, when Jesus healed the lepers, he said, now go to the priest and show him. The priests were like the doctors of the day. Go and let the priest, the doctor, confirm it. I'm in disagreement with those who regard doctors and medicine as reject alternatives for people who don't have enough faith. I get concerned when people say, well, you, you, yeah, go to the doctor. If you don't have enough faith, then go ahead. Years ago, I had to have an emergency appendectomy. I was visited in the hospital by another pastor. When she came to my bedside, she told me, it's too bad you don't have enough faith. She said God, that she had had the same condition, but she had enough faith and God miraculously healed her. And it was such a shame that I, a pastor, didn't have enough faith to get myself out of the hospital. I just smiled and said how marvelous it was that God had healed her. And I said, I guess God wants me to undergo the surgery so I can be here and be a witness to the nurses and doctors of his presence no matter what. I'm saying that to educate you so if you're confronted with things like that, you know how to answer. Let me give you a few scriptures. Don't let somebody come to you and say, well, I got, I got scriptural proof. Second. Chronicles 16, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from his physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, he died and rested with his fathers. There you have it. Stay away from doctors, Bible says. We cannot read that passage and come to that conclusion. First of all, at the time and place when this was written, many physicians used occult practices to heal. Secondly, his sin was that he didn't seek the Lord for his healing, but he only consulted doctors. This cannot be construed as a legitimate reason to say physicians are antithetical to the will of God. The problem is many of us never think to ask God first. And this account should be instructive for us then. How many of us rush to the doctor, rush to the medicine cabinet, and we've never said a word to the Lord? God, could you heal me of this? God, would you heal me of this? God, I receive your healing for this. This passage isn't about the evil of medicine. It's saying, is God your last resort, even with your own healing, or is he first? That's the question. 2 Kings 20, the account of Hezekiah on his deathbed told he's going to die by the prophet Isaiah. Hezekiah prays, and the Lord says, you, you can live for 15 more years. God then instructs Isaiah to use conventional means, conventional medicine to bring healing to the king. Verse 7, he's told to make a poultice of figs, common medical practice in that day, and place it on the boil. That's, what, that's how God used, that's how God healed him. 
Colossians 4, one more example. Dr. Luke is called the beloved physician, and we have no account where Jesus ever said, Luke, buddy, you know, give up your medical practice and just do it like me. Just, just do it as I do. Just pray. He's never chided for using the gifts that God gave him as a doctor. As a matter of fact, it's Luke's gospel that has more accounts of miraculous healings than any other gospel. Are there abuses in the healing ministry? There definitely are. Does that mean we should abandon it or ignore it or forbid it? There's bad doctors. Anybody here have a, don't raise your hand, anybody here have a bad doctor? Did you quit going to every doctor? You ever get a hold of a bad pill, lots of side effects? I'm not, never taking a pill again. You ever been to a Bible study and there's a boring teacher? Well, we're not going to have teachers at our church. There are preachers who preach messages with error in them. Well, preaching might be okay for some churches, but we've seen the abuse. We're not going to have preaching at our church, brother. And yet, we use that line of thinking when it comes to the, the healing ministry. When it comes to healing and prophecy and falling down, laughing, no thanks, God. Uh, we'll, we'll take the gift of administration. That one's nice and tidy. And we'll take teaching. We'll take preaching. But the rest of them, could you just put them back in a little pretty package with the bow and send them over to the Holy Rollers. They love that stuff. All the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good. They're given for the upbuilding of the body. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Paul says you are to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire. Author Jack Deere comments, says, I, I frequently, frequently hear leaders say, I'm open to the gifts of the Spirit, as though there's something noble about being open. Would you give your money to a stockbroker who is open to making something out of your retirement fund? Would you... Would you want to be ministered to by a doctor who said, well, I'm open to you getting healed? Being open doesn't count for very much. I guess it's better than being hostile. But a state of openness isn't going to advance us in the kingdom. Paul doesn't say, I want everyone here to be open to the spiritual gifts. No, he says, pursue them diligently, run after them. The word is similar to the word lust after them, just just. This hunger for what God has in store for us to use and to bless others with. As I close today, I, I want to tell you, I'm not open to the things of the Spirit. I'm zealous to see them happen here. I'm hungry to see God move in my life and in this church life and in our community and all the gifts of the Spirit. In spite of the problems, in spite of the messiness, I'm not one of those who says, I'm not willing to tolerate that. I am willing to tolerate all that. We got a whole book, 1 Corinthians, on how to deal with all the gifts and the messiness they cause and the order we can bring. You know, Presbyterians, there's a, there's a verse in, in 1 Corinthians, do everything decently and in order. They forget that's in the middle of the chapter on tongues. And they just took that part out and like, boy, are we orderly? Boy, are we decent? 
You know, and if they were here last week, it's like, you know, this is kind of a lot of indecent stuff going on in that sanctuary. And Paul says, you can bring order in the midst of the marvel that I want to bestow upon you. Jehovah Rapha. It's one of the, the names of God. How can we reject the one who heals when that's one of his very name? How can we say we don't want some of the stuff that you have in order for us to bless others, to bless the kingdom, to reach the world, to break through what the enemy has done, and to restore it back to the Father? How can we do that? I contend we can't. May we pray. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, Father. Forgive us for looking with disdain upon some of them. For being arrogant enough to say, well, we'll take that, but not that. For trying to box you in instead of just saying, Lord, whatever you have, however you want to move, however you want to flow. This is your house, this, this building. We are your house, these temples of flesh. No, I suppose you don't need it. We give you permission to move in this place. I give you permission as a pastor of this church to do with us what you will, to move through us as you see fit, to overcome every barrier and obstacle and fear within our bosoms that would would stop what you want to do to bless our neighborhood, to bless Greenville, to bless the world. We want to honor you by saying, please be God. Please do whatever you want to do. And teach us how to do that in a way that honors Jesus and lifts up his name before every other. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll stand with me. We will sing praises to our Lord. And just bless the Lord, O my soul. Conclude with you are a good, good father.